When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you on Sunday, January 22nd. Monday, January 23rd, if you're in Australia. Some of you are fortunate enough to be, and that's where all the fun is. Aussie Open Week 2 kicks off today. Second day of round of 16 matches. Draws are heating up. Rafa's out. Iga's out. In fact, for the first time in Open Era history, the top two seeds on the men's and women's singles draws have not reached the quarterfinals. That's pretty crazy. A lot of crazy things have been happening in Melbourne. We're here to talk about it with Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now editor, Eric Goodris, Tennis Now contributor. We're going to chat about the Netflix curse because we know it's real. It's real. And a lot of other things that happen in a brilliant week one. So let's get to that conversation right now. And I'll see you guys on the other side. Eric and Richard, good to have you back. Short on sleep, but ha- but but, uh, but long on tennis. How are you guys today on Sunday, midway through the Aussie Open? Doing very well. Richard, I don't hear from you. Are you still there? Are you alive? I know. I hear you. I didn't hear Eric, but I hear you. Yeah, I'm. I'm, uh, I'm doing great, and I'm uh, excited by the upsets, and um, also want to give you guys credit. The last podcast, I mean, you both said you thought Brooksby would beat uh, Rude, and uh, that McDonald could beat Nadal, and that both things happened. So, good call. I give Eric way more credit than than me on those two topics, and I'm also famously still feeling guilty about saying no way in hell will Andy Murray beat Matteo Berrettini. <laughs> no way in hell will he do it. I'm, I'm still sure of it. I swear. He just doesn't have it in him, that guy. He doesn't have it in him. So, yeah, amazing week. So many storylines. Um, I don't really know where to start. I guess we start with some of the ones that we lost earlier than we might have expected. Rafael Nadal, of course, went out to Mackenzie McDonald, as you spoke about. He wasn't healthy at all. He's not healthy, and he'll be out for six to eight weeks with a hip injury. Richard, where does that leave us? In terms of Rafael Nadal, the 36-year-old, 22-time major champion going forward. Do you think he's still in good shape and can make a run at Roland Garros? Or has something happened where it's just kind of beyond repair at this point, health-wise? It's so hard to know because it just seems like he's been hit with a barrage of different injuries, too. And the abdominal is, man, that's a tough, tough injury. The reason I say that, I was in a U.S. Open presser with him a couple years ago, and someone asked him, what's the most important body part? for your body and he said he said the core 
the core is the most important thing. That that's where he gets all his strength. That everything emanates from the core. So you wonder if the ab, if it never really fully healed, and then you're open to all these other injuries, just because of the torque he puts on his body and the rotation and all that. It's hard to say. I mean, you want to see him fully recover and then come back. To me, the question is: Have we seen the last of him on a hard court? I mean, it's the hard courts is really, really damaging him, and also, you know, he just doesn't do well indoors on indoor hard court. So you have to think he's done for my Indian Wells in Miami. You just want to see if he, you know, what he can do on clay, if he can come back. But you definitely want to see him back. I mean, it's, it was so sad to see him. To see, He was just wounded. I mean, he wasn't himself. He gave the effort. But uh, mm-hmm. you just want to see him heal and, and give it another go. Yeah, he actually pretty amazing what he was able to do in that third set against McDonald where he could barely move and he was just whacking the ball and yet he took it he took it to 5-5 somehow miraculously uh, I mean, I hate to laugh about it. It's not funny. Yeah, but, but it was. Just it, was like, but it shows that you know his heart, and also that you know he's a champion, man. He's going to go out fighting like a champion, just like last year in the final. But when you see his wife in the tears, and you see the the family, and just how I mean, you see how they live and die with this guy with every match. You know, it's so emotionally, it's just got to be so draining for them, especially the recent ups and downs. Yeah. And also at the majors, you know, at Wimbledon, he had put together that run, and everyone's excited for kid. You know. It just he knows he's not right, and then when you're not right, you can't be prepared. And his game is all about preparation, so that that also you know, on a mental, it, it's it's just very hard on all levels. So Eric, I, I put the question to you: Do you think Rafa can come back and win Roland Garros, or do you think he could, even if he doesn't win it, do you think he can get through Roland Garros in good health and give it his best shot? Uh, I guess that's all to be determined i mean depending on kind of how he recovers over the next couple of months and depending on kind of how the clay court season goes for him how much he decides to play um i definitely can never you could never ever count him out from winning the whole thing again Mm -hmm. i think i think it may be a little too soon to tell though um so I think, again, we'll just have to kind of wait and see, especially once the clay court season gets going and kind of where he is health-wise. Yeah, yeah, because we don't know about the six to eight weeks and the severity of, of that the severity of that injury, whether it's going to be a hard recovery or whether he's, it's going to breeze through it and he's going to be back on court feeling 100%. And, and that's what we all hope and that's what we all want to see in the clay season because he makes it so much more fun, the king of clay, on his favorite surface. But, but for now, we'll just have to keep our fingers crossed and – Focus on who's actually in the draw, one of the players who's in the draw. But sometimes it seems like just just barely it's Novak Djokovic nursing that hamstring, yet getting through matches pretty relatively easily. Um, Eric, what do you think about Novak and what he's dealing with injury-wise? Do you think he's able? He's going to be good to go for the second week? What have you seen from him so far during those first three rounds, his th- first three victories in Melbourne for Novak? I think with with Novak, I think uh, you know, depending on the this issue that he's dealing with, um, he's dealt with the first couple rounds very well. Um, you know, Dimitrov could have been a trickier match than it turned out to be, um, especially if he had, did not win that first set tie break. So I think he's been very fortunate that he's gotten through these early rounds fairly cleanly. And um, I, again, I think this his draw, of course, has opened up. Um, as well. So that's definitely going to help him. But, um, you know, you, you kind of, not to necessarily look ahead, but uh, if, you know, let's say he gets through Demonar 
um, then he could potentially be facing Rublev or Rune in the quarters, and that could be a real test. Um, especially uh, Rublev has been playing extremely well. Yes. Um, and uh, of course, Rune has been on the rise. So that's that that fourth round is going to be intriguing into itself. So I think that's going to be the real test for him. If he, whoever he plays, if he gets through that, then he's definitely got a great shot of getting to the final. But again, it's, it's going to be, again, I think it's going to be a match management issue for him. And, um, but he's still the favorite and he's going to have the crowd behind him and that motivation to win again since he couldn't play there last year. So I think that he's one of, he's one of the few that can kind of, you know, uh, fuel himself when the odds seem against him. Yeah. Good points. He's, he's managed a couple bagels in the first three rounds. And I think what, what we've seen is that he hasn't been pushed to a level where he has to throw caution to the wind and just push that hamstring. I think he's been able to kind of protect himself in these matches. You see him looking hobbled at points, and uh, Richard, I wanted to get your take on that. It doesn't seem like he's been pushed past that pain threshold. And I think that's what somebody has to do if they're going to be able to have a shot to beat him, maybe a Holgaruna, as Eric spoke about. I don't see Demon doing it tonight. But, I mean, it's still very intriguing and very uh, mystifying to, 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 to figure out how much pain Novak is going through and how it's really impacting his performance and if and when somebody can actually push him, take a set or maybe even two off of him, that would be very interesting to watch to see how he reacts. Yeah, absolutely. And I apologize in advance because I'm having trouble with my phone, so I couldn't hear Eric. I don't want to repeat him. But I, to me, I think, like you said, D- you know, Demon's. I don't. I think he's going to win that match. I think the one thing Demon's a grinder, so you want to see him try to push him into long rallies laterally, and then try to drop shot him once in a while. See how that works coming forward. But his, he just has too much game, and his weight of shot is so much bigger than Demon. I, 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 I definitely think Holger Rune. That would be the match, the quarters, to really see where he's at. Because obviously it's an issue, but at the same time, if you look at a lot of these matches. He's getting. He's playing better as the match goes on. I mean, he's getting on a roll and rolling through some of these last few sets. So he, he he's managed the the pain and the and the risk uh, factor. But he he's he's actually gotten stronger on some of these matches. So you want to see. I want to see him against Holger because of what happened in Paris, but also because Holger's the kind of player that could take it to him. Mm-hmm. And whereas I don't think Demon has the weapons to take it to, that's the kind of player that could really make him defend, put him in tight spots, and then, you know, you see where he's at physically. You also wonder if the stress of everything and the record and every if that plays a part into it, too, because I know people who are, you know, exceptional athletes, when you get all this pressure, sometimes it just manifests, it's manifests itself in, in pain and just your your body just isn't right because you're just under so much immense pressure and, you know, the crowds and everything. Uh, you know, I, I want to see that quarterfinal with Holger, and then we'll we'll see what happens. Okay, and um, yeah, I'll cue you guys in just to make sure we handle the fact that you guys are on different wavelengths. I, I think I have a, you on two separate calls, and that's my bad. Work on that for next time. I'm not going to solve it right now, but I'll switch back to Eric, and we'll stay on Novak. Really simple question. I asked it on Twitter yesterday. Got a lot of different answers. If not Novak for this title, then who? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, one would think Tsitsipas, just because he's been knocking on the door for so long. Um, but there's still those question marks, right? Like, can he finally kind of 
go all the way. Um, so if 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 not Novak, then Tsitsipas. But if not him, then goodness, I mean, maybe Rublev, maybe Rune. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know we want to get probably discuss the the young the young Americans as well. Um, I think that would be that would be a huge moment, of course. But I, I, I don't know if I any of those Americans left in the draw quite have it yet to go all the way. Yeah. But of course, we've seen unpredictable things happen uh, at the final stages of a major. So I'll say Sitsi passed only because he's been knocking on the door for so long. Yep, I'll agree with you on on Sitsipas, Eric, as my top pick for for the if not Novak then who I'll throw it to Richard. And uh, and then we'll definitely discuss a little bit those Americans because we know we got one American at least coming through. Oh, we've got Corda in the quarters already. We've got either either uh, Shelton or Wolf is going to win because they're playing each other. And then Tommy Paul has a shot. But but Richard, I put the question to you: If not Novak Djokovic for the 2023 Australian Open men's singles title, then who? Well, the highest seed standing is Sitsipas. So you would have to go there also because Sitsipas, the Greek crowd factor where he said repeatedly it's where he feels so at home there because you have so many Greek fans also he just hears the, his own language there and also the Philippousis factor that you have a guy who's really trying to to help him in terms of not just the, the technical aspects but the maturity so I think you'd have to go with him just because he's a three-time semifinalist he's the guy who's yeah. been in a grand slam final arguably should have won the final he was in he was up in a winning position you got to go with him just based on what he's done but uh, I would lean with a quarter or a Holger Rune or the, be the two that after Sitsipas I would say uh, could do it. The thing with quarter, uh, I mean, he's impressed me a lot the whole year, but it's also you want to see him close big matches in majors, and, you know, he got a little bit shaky there at the end against Hercotch. So did Hercotch. It's a lot of pressure when you're playing you know, a tiebreaker for that kind of spot, but he was able to pull it together and pull it out. But, you know, you remember the Rafa match where he wasn't able to close. So that's a question to me still. Can he do it? He's taken a lot of strides to answer that. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, that's still a question. But Hokorone, God, he plays with so much confidence and freedom. And, you know, I'm almost talking like he's definitely going to be Rublev. You know, who knows if he's going to win that match or not. But I, I just think he's got – he's just got a – he's riding a wave right now. You look at him recently over the last year, he's so up and down, though. But when he's up, he's really up. Yep, yep, very good points. And Korda, to, to his – um, he's done well in the tiebreakers. Two against Medvedev. Won that match seven six seven six three seven six four, and then he got the 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 super tiebreak against Hercatch. So steps in the right direction. Shaky moments for sure, but he's shaky wor- moments. Yeah, but what impressed me in all those tiebreakers is he was the guy that stepped. I think it was the seven all point against Hercatch. He came in, he hit the smash right down the line. I mean, yeah. he stepped in and took charge in in the critical stages in those tiebreakers. He went after it. He didn't like you know back. I mean, sure, he had some tight patches. He pushed a couple backhands and. That, but he, when it was there to be taken, he stepped up and took it, and yes. that's a big, big thing. And I also love the the energy and the interplay with uh, Roddick Stepanek because he was such an emotional, feisty player. And you see him at those moments, standing in the box, just screaming like, "Right now, right now!" And you know, maybe that's what Sebi needed as a guy, a little more emotional, fire him up because you could hear. I mean, you could definitely hear the coach in the box. Yes. And uh, yeah, he's been he's been. So much fun to watch. Not just it's the whole the whole Aussie swing. Yes, but nearly defeating Djokovic in Adelaide, that was an eye opener as well. I'll stick with you, Richard. 
and ask you uh, on the women's side, if not Iga, well, it's definitely not Iga because she was upset yesterday by Rybakina. So then who on the women's side? Uh, I would say either Rabakina or the winner of Sabalenka, Benchich. I know a lot of people would, would say Garcia, and I, I wouldn't argue with that. Garcia's been you know one of the best players. You definitely have to put her there. She wants it really bad. I just love what I'm seeing out of Sabalenka. It's just, look, Benchich, they, they've split the only two times they've played, and Benchich is an Olympic gold medal champion. She knows how to win big matches. She's a former world number four. That's a tough match. I mean, But Sabalenka has not only not lost a match, she hasn't lost a set. And she's played some tough tie-break sets, too. And the serve is under control, you know. And when the serve is under control, the emotions are under control. And when the emotions are under control, she makes clear, calmer decisions. So I thought a big hurdle for her was the Mertens match because they won Grand Slam doubles titles together. They know each other inside and out. And Mertens is a control player who can extend rallies 20-plus shots and just put the pressure on you by making you play. And she totally kept it together, really played well that match. And you wrote a really good article about this upcoming Benchitz match. It's really about also the Tursunov factor and what he brings, his knowledge of Sabalenka's game. Can that help Benchitz? And, you know, I love what I'm seeing out of Benchic, too. So I think the winner of that could do it. But Rabakina, you've got to love what you saw out of her in the Ega match. And if she can be consistent and if the court is playing quicker, as they say it is, she's she's a really tough one to beat, although Ostapenko has had – Ostapenko has beaten her. So I would look at those three, but I can't argue with anybody who would pick Garcia. And then Ostapenko is a former Grand Slam champion, so mm-hmm. you can't – you know, you can't rule her out. And and let's not forget JPEG. And a lot of good JPEG, ones in there. JPEG, yeah, I totally, yeah, I'm sorry about that. No, yeah, it's no worries, no worries. Eric was going to get to it anyway. But I, yeah. I'm gonna, before I switch it over to you, Eric, I'm going to say I do think it's Sabalenka for me, top of, top of the pops. But, yes, she has to get through Benchich, and that's going to be a crazy difficult match. Um, uh, Arena has looked so good. I think she's got seven double faults in her three matches. Those, those worries are kind of behind her. Her game is just so bossy. It's just so nice to see her thriving. And I think it's going to happen at some point, and why not now? Eric, what's your take on things? Yeah, I'm definitely interested to watching that Sabalenka Benchitz match. Uh, I definitely agree Sabalenka's been playing much cleaner than of late. I still wonder, though, just saying if she gets through Benchitz and finds herself in like the semifinals, if that the pressure and the nerves that we've seen from her when she's gotten to, to like the, the the later rounds might not occur because she knows that uh, she has an opportunity to, to, to finally win yeah. uh, a major. So uh, that could happen. Um, I I don't know if uh, I'm also just going to mention Pliskova because she's been flying under the radar literally. Seriously. And uh, I think for her, that's the best thing. And, she certainly, when she's on her game, can disrupt anyone. So I think if anybody is potentially going to play a spoiler in that section that could potentially go all the way to final, I would not be surprised if it's Bluskova. That would be something, right? If she's been real quiet of late and just jumping into the scene and looking very strong through three rounds. Uh, plays uh, Zhang Shui in the, in the round of 16. I will mention that um, Benchich Sabalenka, first up today on Rod Laver, 11 a.m. start. Um, that's going to be interesting. And we didn't really talk about Jessica Pagula, so I will talk about her. She's the highest-seeded player left. She beat Bar- Barbora Krejcikova. 
7-5-6-2 when we'll face Azarenka in the quarterfinals. Looking like she's backing up her seed once again. She's been in these quarters three times in a row. I think it's time for her to pat, patch through to the next level. Can she win the title? I don't see why not, really. She, she's been that good and seems to really like the surface in Australia. Seems to be in a real nice form right now and uh, carrying the torch for Coco Goff, who was eliminated yesterday by Ostapenko. And, and, and Eric, what do you think about the loss of Iga Shriotek yesterday? Do you think there was much she could have done about that? Do you think it was the pressure got to you or just think she was up against a better player who many of us maybe uh, haven't given enough credit for just how good she is in Elena Rybakina? Um, I think a little bit of all those things. I mean, I definitely think Schwantek felt the pressure uh, to, uh, to 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 win the title. Um, but I also think that Rabakina is definitely one of those players, even though um, she's achieved so much, she's still um, not really getting, I guess, the respect that she deserves, not from the players, but I think from like we've talked about like other tournaments have been putting her like outside courts and other things like that so i think she came into that match um with something to prove and she certainly uh showed it yesterday and she just has that kind of game that when she's on um just like at wimbledon you're just like uh whoa (laughs) i don't know who's gonna who's gonna defeat her so i think um uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see what she does uh, moving forward in this tournament because I think uh, I think she's probably a player that still likes to be a little bit under the radar. Um, so now that more more and more attention is going to be on her in this tournament, being interesting to see if she can kind of take that next step and get to another major final. Yeah, she's a powerhouse. Leading the tournament in first serve points, one, 82%, just so dominant when she dictates the way she does. She's a heck of a player. And and Richard, I'm tossing it back to you, and I want to ask you a little bit more about Iga Shiatek. Has the uh, has Iga aura been de- been decimated a little bit in 2023 with the 6-2-6-2 drubbing at the hands of Pagula at United Cup and now the loss to Rybakina? You think players are going to have maybe – watch these matches and believe in themselves a little bit more when they face Iga, particularly on the faster surfaces? Well, to me, the blueprint for both the Pagula and, and uh, Rabakina wins was they just basically told her, look, if you put a mediocre second serve or, you know, mid-box second serve, and we're just going to tee off and try to end it there or at least make you defend from there. So that's one area... You know, not that she has a bad second serve, but that's one area where she can get better and where I think that's where they showed the rest of the tour. That's where you really got to take it to her on the second serve points. If you look back at the very first game of that match, she's up 40-love and cruising, and then she misses a couple first serves. Rabakina just wails on two return clean you know, just brilliant return winners. And I really think that rattled her because she realized, like, look, there's not going to be an easy service hold today. So I, I... I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it gives the rest of the tour hope, but she's still eager. I mean, she's still the best. I mean, the best or one of the best athletes. She still has one of the most hellacious forehands on the tour. She's a phenomenal mover, and she does the work to get better, and she wants to get better. I think a bigger concern would just be how she, you know, was alluding to mentally. You know, it got to her. You know, the pressure got to her. She wasn't feeling it, and you know, you're gonna, you're gonna. That's gonna be magnified all year when you go back to Paris, when you go back to New York. You know, it's going to be that 
you know, times 20 because you're the reigning champion. So that's going to be the real challenge. And we've seen people like Osaka where it's been hard to handle that when the bullseye's on your back. So to me, that's a big thing. Maybe just get away from it for a while. But I just felt her comments were revealing where she's at mentally. But, you know, she's still playing wise. She's still the best player in the world. No question. Look, Ons had the same thing. You know, Ons went out early too. And she was in prime position so pressure is a is a is a real tricky thing yeah uh, to be fair i think he could play pretty well yesterday she just she yeah oh strange. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely a little bit of a struggle winning points on serve first serve points one were 57 percent, and really it was about the big points close sets both of those um yeah maybe she wasn't in the right headspace and anything to add eric on uh, on Iga and her aura going forward in 2023 I think Iga's aura will remain intact, especially once the clay court season gets up again. Uh, so I think uh, I, I don't think there's going to be any doubt that she's going to be still uh, the player to beat. Although she is going to be facing a lot of pressure defending all those points this year, so that's going to be another added pressure on her as the season continues. But I still think she. Uh, at least through the the first half of the season, is still definitely the player to be. Yeah. She'll have a lot to look forward to next season. I think she would love to win an Australian Open title, would love to win a Wimbledon title, and those two things are still very much on the table for her. And those are the places where she, maybe she'll be vulnerable for years to come. So, I mean, some you know something for her to target and maybe just get that tunnel vision going again and not worry about the pressure but just worry about the mission. We switched gears. We talked Netflix um, on our last podcast. We talked all about the five episodes we had watched and and it was it was a joy to speak about it and lo and behold we come back seven days later and there's this thing called the netflix curse and it and it could be real is it real i ask you eric is the netflix curse real i ila tomyanovic by the way does not think it's real we heard about that on twitter but uh, it seems pretty real pretty real rather uh, faa is out on shabur is out maria sakari out in the third round nick curios didn't play injured thanasi kokonakis loses second round berrettini out first round paula barosa out i think it was first round tamjanovic didn't play fritz out second round casper Ruud out second round these are all the players that were featured in the first five episodes what gives uh, I don't think it's, there's a curse, uh, however, whatever people want to want to believe. I think it just it just goes to show you that the nature of the, the tennis season each year can change, and players that are coming in hot at the start of one year may not be coming the next year for whatever reason. So uh, to try to to try to attribute that to the show is what have you, but <laughs> good press, though, um, isn't it? I, I think it'll be interesting to see once the next, the next uh, group of episodes drops in terms of who they, they cover and things like that. Uh, uh, we'll see, you know, kind of what uh, the interest that's generated. I did. I think I read somewhere on Twitter or somewhere that I think Rune was being covered at the Australian open this year for an upcoming season. So, you know, I think I think the plan for the show overall is to try to feature as many of these players as possible. So we'll probably see a, a, a whole new group of fresh faces, fresh faces. I say that for or for those uh, audiences that are not familiar with the, some of these players. So I think um, there'll be a whole new group of uh, uh, 
whole new cast (laughs) for the next the next couple episodes so uh we'll see what happens once those players are featured let me ask you this eric have you enjoyed the talk of the netflix curse or do you think do you think it's annoying or do you think it's funny i mean i think it's funny i mean i think i'm sure the producers and netflix anything that generates conversation around a show is is welcomed and uh, sure would have been great if one of the featured uh, players in this group of episodes had done had kind of gone deep in the tournament or even the one of tournament. Of course, that would have been great, but that's nobody can predict any of that. So I think it's just um, I think, like I said, one thing about the episodes is that it's very very chronological in terms of how they're presented. So the producers may, in upcoming seasons, maybe choose to wait and then perhaps show like an entire year rather than kind of five episodes, five episodes, so that you kind of avoid that if some players, for whatever reason, during the the current season don't do well, there's other players that are doing well that can uh, draw people from the show to the actual uh, tennis tour. So that might be something for them to consider for future seasons. Mm-hmm. Richard, what do you think about the Netflix curse? Have you enjoyed the, the banter on Twitter? Is, is it, is it making you smile? Is it annoying? Is it oh, real? I think it's funny. I think it's <laughs> funny. And also, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, although I'm surrounded by them often, but I have to say it is interesting how each of them went out in different weird way. Like, but those that didn't even make it into the, you know, she pulled out before, or, you know, Kaganakis, the match, of, you know, this marathon crazy match or Berrettini. You know, it's just weird how they did go out. Like, it's not just that they're out. They went out in very strange way. You know, that's almost like a weird sort of a added plot line. I would be more worried if I was, like, one of the people they were following around with the camera now. Like, if I'm Olga Rune and they're following me around with a camera, I'd be like, wow, maybe there's something to that, you know? Yeah, I saw some people having fun with that, showing, like, uh, there was a uh, video of Sitsipas running away from a camera, and they you know, made, made us believe that he was running away from Netflix, which wasn't the case. But it, it, it's funny to think about. It's, it's it's always a curse, like it used to be the Sports Illustrated curse. There's a Netflix. There's always a curse. You know, I just like having excuses when I lose, so that's my curse. Funny. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. I think I mentioned Bedosa. She didn't get to play either. So three of the players didn't even get into the right play the right. Australian Open. So you know, it does feel like kind of a curse in a weird way. I mean, obviously, there's it's hard to make real connection, but it's been funny. I think people are having fun with it. It's not something, and it's something you're going to hear. About about because when those next episodes drop, those players are going to talk be talking about that curse in every press conference yeah, exactly. going forward. It's going to get annoying at some point, but right now, it's, I'd vote for funny. Um, I'll switch gears and stay with when you. When they put out the next trailer, like all those players are going to be like, "Whoa!" Like, uh, question mark next to my name. It, it'll <laughs> be know, huge. Like... The person who breaks the curse, it'll be like the uh, the Boston Red Sox of the early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. But Richard, stick with you. We're, we're we're close to wrapping it up, but before we do, we definitely need to talk about. The Muzza, Mr. Andy Murray, who had a miraculous couple rounds of tennis in Australia. Yeah, I mean, I predicted him to lose to Matteo Berrettini, and I thought he, paid, he, I thought he paid dearly for not getting himself seated once again and for having a difficult draw. And maybe he did in the end, but boy, was I wrong about what he was capable of producing in the first week. Those two wins were just unbelievable, and um, he wasn't able to pull past Roberto Batista Agut in the third round, but played over 14 hours of tennis in, in three matches. That I think that's a record, and it was just so inspiring to see him and actually to see all of these 
players in the big three, big four slash big five, all giving it their best and all fighting with age. Even Stan Wawrinka, uh, Novak struggling, Rafa struggling, but Andy Murray. I mean, geez, that was that was just cool. I think we'll remember this these two matches forever. Oh yeah, it's definitely going into the uh, Andy, you know, the catalog of great Murray moments, and also that was his longest match of his career at 35 years old with a you know medal in his hip and hip. I mean, after all he's been through, and think back at 2019 when they did that really emotional display on the board where it's Federer and everyone's basically saying goodbye. I mean, it was like basically like. You're at the funeral, and you know the body's in the casket. Everyone's saying farewell, and then he just rises from all that to give you another phenomenal run. And like I think the word you said was so appropriate, inspiring. Like no matter who you are, no matter what level of tennis you play, when you see a guy just give it all like that at his age and everything he's been through, it just makes the game so um, deeper. It's so more meaningful when you see how much uh, how much passion he has for how much it moves him just to and the, also the, all the other stuff that people rip on him for like with the bathroom arguments and going barking at the I kind of like that because it shows it's not just forehands and backhands and what's between the lines it's managing your sleep managing the 4am finishes managing the crazy emotions you're feeling manages the arguments with the it's all this other stuff that he always brings into the match that you realize wow this is a really big drama on a scale that's beyond just two people so i love that about him and also look this is a guy last year that donated his whole prize money to unicef to help the kids yeah, those kids good point or kids in ukraine anybody who does that in any walk of life i mean you have my eternal respect to step up in a cry and he's not doing it for the money he's not doing it for the title he loves to play and i mean there's nothing more powerful than the passion to play from love yeah he, he shares a feeling that we all feel about this sport which is the love of it and the, and the you know we can't play it like Andy Murray can but but the right. fact that he wants it so badly that he doesn't care if he's out consistently in the third round he just wants to give it his best shot it's cool and before I ask you about it Eric I'll read his last tweet he said two days ago I randomly bumped into the doctor who in 2017 told me the good news is the problem you have in your hip can be fixed, but you won't be able to play professional sport again. I think we dispelled that myth the last five days, he said, with a little uh, winking emoji. Eric, um, anything to add on Andy Murray, what he means to you? I know you've been a big fan since day one. Uh, definitely. And I mean, I just find sort of the, I guess for Murray, sort of the irony and some of the satisfaction is that you know, several years ago that he lost at the Australian Open and then there was that retirement ceremony and then everyone thought that was the end of his career. And uh, Murray himself probably didn't have, may have thought that was the end of his career as well, but he's come back from the surgery and he keeps persevering and keeps fighting and it's just incredible to watch. And he's he's definitely not done yet and he wants to perhaps win another major. I mean, I don't know if that's possible. I mean, but I think that's what's driving him is that he loves the sport and he loves playing. And um, look, he, he's climbing back up the rankings and he's um, not going to have to rely on wild cards. He's going to be able to get into a bunch of tournaments this year. So this is going to be the year that we're going to see. Maybe Murray can create some more magic, um, maybe even at Wimbledon. I mean, of course, that's where everyone would love for Murray to make another uh, historic run. So I think there's going to be several more uh, magical Murray moments uh, this season uh, 
that we all can look forward to. Yes, definitely we'll look forward to that. And let's wrap it up, starting with you, Eric. Best moment in week one, what moved you the most from the emotional standpoint? Um, for me, um, was probably uh, a player that may some people may not have uh, realized was uh, calling time to her career, but to see uh, Australia Sam Stozer um, bid farewell uh, at the Australian Open. She played her final uh, doubles matches of her career and, got, of course, a definitely a warm an emotional send-off from all her friends and family and the Australian fans. And um, just also just uh, seeing all the reactions on social media from fellow players about, uh, of course, she's a great player, a great champion, but uh, just a great person uh, on and off the court and uh, just a great ambassador for the sport. So um, definitely will be missed um, playing on the court, but definitely hope that we see her uh, in and around the sport because she's uh, truly one of the best. Yeah, so cut from that Aussie, that Aussie cloth, right? Just a perfect sportswoman. What a great talent too, and, and really at, at her peak was was one of the best of all time. I mean, winning that U.S. Open in 2011, she was she was just a force in singles from for for several years in the early, in the early 2010s there, and then of course doubles and mixed. She was an absolute legend, and you said it very well, Eric. Just a person that everybody genuinely loves. So that was definitely a high point. How about uh, how about you, Richard? What moved you emotionally in week one? I would- yeah, I would say Murray Kakanakis would be the one where, you know, not just the comeback, but just how he brought the, everybody into the mat. Like, if you're watching 6,000 miles away, or if you're in the stadium, or wherever you are in the world, you just feel such so intimately involved in that match. He's like, you know, like the Indiana Jones of tennis. Every time you think something's happened, he finds a way to kind of claw his way out of it and come back. And that was a beautiful thing to see. Also, the reaction of the fans really... Um, it was just it was just really uh emotional it was great to see uh, i'm assuming eric talked about sam stoser and uh, <laughs> he did because i know he's a big sam stoser fan and uh and uh i think that's great too uh that they just always respect their champions and the reverence they have for their champions and how they honor their champions yeah. and uh you know, another one was the ben shelton alexi pop you know that just the interplay, the exchange between Sheldon and the crowd, and just the exuberance he plays with, and he's jumping around, how he's giving it back to the crowds, giving it to him. And, uh, you know, the Aussie Open, those night crowds, it's just so uh, energizing, and also they're they're so loud and vocal, and they're not afraid to give it to the players. So those kind of things, uh, those those moments really stuck out for me. And uh, also, Rafa, you know, we talked about that earlier at the top, but it's also the great champions. They not only show us how to win, but they show us how to lose and how he, like you said, how he just didn't, he just kept fighting and fighting. He didn't have it. He was beaten down, but he just kept fighting and went out like the warrior he is. So those are all nice. we're all for me good ones I'm, I'm going to throw it back to you Eric but before I do I want to mention my, one of my favorites was Alexi Popperin's win over Taylor Fritz and I was gutted for Fritz to be honest but 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 I've always liked Alexi Popperin's game and his, his, his personality and, and uh, he had just that 
it wasn't so much the match, which was which was a completely it was a cracker. It was an excellent match, but it was the post match interview where he was in tears, just the way he explained what it meant to him and how he felt, and the, him resonating with the crowd. I think it was on John Kane. It was just a magical moment and just a real genuinely cool moment. And I definitely want the best for that guy moving forward. And yeah, as Richard, as you mentioned, Ben Shelton, he, he's he's got the swag. That kid, he's he's fun. He, he's gonna be he's gonna be a hell of a hell of a fun entertaining watch for many years. But Eric, do you have other moments like if you just rack your brain off the top of your head matches that you watched and loved in the first week or moments that you loved other than the one um, that you expressed about Stozer you know um, I watched um, this was a couple of rounds ago um, Taylor Townsend play in her singles Um, she played and I've got to rack my brain for the player that it was it was such a close match I'm gonna I'm gonna look up right now so I can say the opponent's name but it was just great to see taylor townsend um playing very well in uh singles um she's of course made so much noise on the doubles court and um i'm hoping that even though um she she lost of course the 19th season alexandrova but um i'm hoping that uh taylor um can make some noise on the singles court uh this year because uh uh, especially with her serve and volley. Um, she's so great at the net. And um, I don't know, that for me kind of stuck out. So I'm hoping that uh, maybe 2023 will be, uh, Taylor will have some breakthrough moments on the singles court this year. I agree. I think she's phenomenal, right? And and her, her style of game is so cool. Her personality is so cool. Her, her story is great, obviously becoming a mom and all she's been through to get where she is. Yeah, good one Good one to point out. She got a, She actually absolutely smoked Dion Parry in the first round and, and had a close one with Alexandrova, and I thought she could get through it, but lost 6-3 in the, uh, in the third, I think, in the second round. But, yeah, good, good one there. Richard, back to you. Any, any other moments? Keep, keep them coming. It was a great week. Yeah, it was a great week. Um, you know, the hype around Coco and Emma, even though it didn't, the match itself, the quality maybe wasn't there. I mean, that was just exciting to see everybody pumped up to see these two and hopefully um, develop a rivalry. I like the Layla Fernandez, um, Carolyn Garcia, the first set that went, especially when she came back in the time. There's some really crackling rallies in that match. They both take the ball so early. They were both going after it. And, uh, God, give, give Garcia a lot of credit to come back in the uh, breaker. The Medvedev quarter, the atmosphere for that match was amazing. The crowd was so into it. Yeah. And, you know, the way that quarter took it to him and exposed exposed Medvedev in the front court, you know, wasn't afraid to hit some short slices, some drop shots, and was really, frankly, the more, he, he just looked like a better all-around his game, all the depth of his game. He just looked smoother all around. So that stood out for me. Um, you know, the Iga match, uh, you know, that was also just because of the upset, uh, the Marquetta Vandrusa, the Ons Marquetta, man. I mean, it wasn't great quality, but to see someone like Vandrusa after she's been through so much with the wrist surgery, with marriage, everything that's gone on in her life, to to get a big win like that was was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, Coco and Emma. That's a match where the winners and unforced errors do not tell the story. I, I thought that match was amazing. I thought they attacked each other like with, with such verve, and it just had a pop and a sizzle. That match, I thought it was awesome, and a lot of people would think that they played poorly and maybe they did by whatever your standard is but to me that one sets up to be a nice rivalry looking forward um and they both move so well that i think it's a good point you make because they're both so good at extending points and you know making you hit another shot where maybe you think the point's over and athletically they're so much fun to watch because of the way they move and just what they can do with the ball 
on the move. Yeah. Yeah, the phenomenal talents and and so young and so we're gonna see we're gonna see that matchup and I'm gonna look forward to it. I'll mention Michael Mo. I mean, he was he was basically out of the out of yeah. the qualifying. Thought he was going home. Ended up getting a late call. Somebody called him and says you got a match in like an hour. He's still at the hotel. He's like, okay, I'll make it. So he plays the Frenchman uh, locally, and and is in his down match point locally double faults. He comes back from two sets to love down to make the second round. Then he beats Zverev. In the second round for his biggest career win, reaches the third round, makes a bunch of money, and, and gets a bunch of confidence. A huge, huge Australian Open for Michael Moe. That was a great part of the American story. It's been a good American story, clearly, for the men, getting so many people into the, the third round, and now the round of 16 and even the quarters. But Michael Moe, a big part of that story. Oh, so you're 100% right. That's a potentially career-changing swing from being a lot to being gone and being on a plane home to doing what he did. That It was amazing, his reaction also. The other one I should have mentioned earlier was just the, some of the shots that Brooksby hit against Casper Ruiz. This guy hit some insane shots. But even the last game, he put a running one-handed backhand slice right off the line. I mean, he, I realized Tommy Paul took it to him the next round, but what he did with the ball against Rudy, he's so much fun to watch, Brooksby. He's awesome. He's awesome. I think his wrist was bothering him against Tommy Paul. That was a bit of a bummer, but yeah, great performance and a big upset. The Another thing I'll mention before I spin it back to you, Eric, is the Americans knocked out the number one and number two seeds at the Australian Open. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. And also a stat that we, we saw yesterday was that the uh, for the first time in Open era history the top two seeds on the men's and the women's side are out before the quarterfinals at a grand slam for the first time ever of course you know put an asterisk next to that having novak djokovic as the number five seed but whatever it's an amazing stat eric keep it rolling anything anything else that comes to mind before we say goodbye here other thing I'll, I'll add is I'll, I'll be curious to see how these uh young americans and the on the men's side do uh this year of course we have that section of the draw where it's possible that uh we could have an all i mean just double check to make sure but apparently we could have an all-american semifinal i mean it sounds crazy but um or at least one semifinalist in the uh in the semifinals so i'll be curious to see what happens there i think that in some ways, it might be easier uh, for them to be knocking on the door rather than, say, the U.S. Open, where there's yeah. all the extra added uh, press and the fans and what have you. And they can, of course, they're getting crowd support, but the pressure might be a little off there. So, um, and I think it's just, it's fantastic that, of course, we've had so many incredible. Um, uh, women Americans doing so well that it's just fantastic to finally see uh, not just one American man doing well at a major, but uh, several. So I'm hopeful that uh, that bodes well for the rest of the season. Yes, good point. Not the usual suspects because we're looking to Fritz and, and Tiafo for leadership, and we end up with Shelton and Wolf meeting in the round of 16 and at a potential quarterfinal between the winner of Shelton and Wolf against the winner of Paul and Batista Agu. So I think it, it could be an All-American quarterfinal, and we could potentially have two American semifinalists, which is crazy. And and yes, it's been an amazing performance. And yes, the, the men have clearly lagged behind the women and been jealous of their success for the last 20 years. And, and finally, they're um, supporting each other. They had the great run at the United Cup, and, and they're locked in, and it's good to see. Richard, parting shots from you. You're going you're gonna to take us out. Well, 
let's hope that Novak is healthy and that uh, he can continue to play on. And I think on the women's side, it's totally, totally up for grabs. And uh, I just can't wait to see how it shakes out. Cool. Um, guys, thanks so much for joining me. We'll get back together when this is all said and done. It's going to be a fantastic week, two from Melbourne. So buckle in and uh, get your ESPN Plus streams cranking. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, thank Eric. Thank you. And thank you, Richard. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank Take you. care, guys. Thank you. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Eric Goodris and Richard Pagliaro for joining for the great conversation. We're so excited about the second week of the Aussie Open. It's going to be phenomenal. Who knows how it's going to turn out. But uh, we'll be back in seven days to talk about what happened. Guys, remember you can find us on social media at facebook.com slash tennis now on Twitter. We're always active on Twitter. Staying up late for these incredibly compelling matches. You can find us at tennis underscore now. You can also find us on the web. Plenty of uh, good reads on our website, www.tennisnow.com. Thanks as always for listening to this podcast. We love it if you rate, review, subscribe. It does mean a lot to us. We'd love it if you give us some of your questions, things you want us to, topics you want us to cover in the future. You can hit us up on social and tell us what you want, what you need, and we appreciate you listening. It means a lot to us. Enjoy the second week of the Australian Open. Buckle in. It's going to be a wild one. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.